Amen. Praise God. I want to turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1 and just have that open before you. There's a stylus, a Nokia stylus here if anybody wants. I'm not <laughs> Praise the Lord. Acts chapter 1. As Pastor Elia just mentioned, we started a, a, a new series about four or five weeks ago. And it's a series for the church. You know, all around the church, all, the, all around the world. There's churches of all sizes. Churches at all phases of their existence. And churches need help. Young churches need help. Church plants need help. Mature churches, when they get to three or four or five hundred, very often they stall, they crash. And, you know, everybody runs away and says, oh, that church has failed. And so often it's not something serious, as I shared in the first week. I was driving through Dublin once in a perfectly good car. But it broke down. And people were ready to trash that thing. Hang on a minute. And that's not a good attitude. It's just a small problem. We can fix it. And so it is with churches, and especially to those joining us around the world. If your church has stalled, don't panic. But rather think of these three terms. Ready, steady, and go. So often it's something simple. That people, just when individuals crash, when a Christian crashes out or they backslide, they weren't ready in prayer. They did something really simple. Something stupid, but simple. They stop praying. And then they get sick and they backslide. Right? Or, but the steady bit is, is where we are today. Churches often lose their path in discipleship. And the going bit is evangelism. If you're not active in these three areas as a believer, you're not going to get too far. I mean, you can be religious and you can be in this church for the next 20 years, but it's, you're not going to have much of an impact in the lives around you or even in your own life. So this next phase, we've talked about being ready in prayer for four weeks. And this next phase, being steady. I mean, I don't know, guys. I don't think there's anything else more important to Jesus for a Christian's life. You see, see personally, just me personally, on my own in prayer, there's things I really want. And there's things I close the door, and I fast, and I pray. There's things I really really care about and I want in life but you know what <laughs> there's things God wants there's particular things that are on the heart of God no different from you and top of his list according to my Bible is discipleship and that's why it's one of the last things he said to his church go and make disciples of all nations and one of the tragedies one of the things I think we will be you know shocked at on judgment day is that we failed so often to do that simple thing. The very thing he told us to do, we didn't do. In fact, to be honest, I think Christians often do everything but. Very successful strategy. Do everything but. Now, I'm a very happily married man. But a few years back, myself and Jeanette had a little bit of a crash, a little bit of a ding-dong. We had a little bit of a doodah, ding-dong between our, 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 ourselves. And it was this. Every now and again, I would come into the church office and she would be there and Jeanette would be busy doing something. But all of a sudden, a priority would come to me. Something that had to be done. And I would say, Jeanette, Jeanette, I need you to do this. And time after time, she would say, I can't. I can't do that because I'm doing this. And I would get so mad, so angry, you know, really angry, deeply inside. And I had to kind of figure out what was wrong. It was more than just a, 
you know, husband-wife thing. It was more than that. This was a deeper thing. Something was seriously wrong. And it took me a while to figure out what it was. I thought, I know, I've got it. So one day we sat down together and had a chat. I said, you know what? Not only am I your husband, but I'm your pastor. And see, when I come with a priority, you've got no right to say to me that you've got some other priority. No matter what that is, you really need to drop that. And you know something else? You'll get joy. If you obey me, not because I'm lording it or being, not for any of, I don't mean that at all. But if you obey me, do you know what will happen? You'll start to get fulfilled and the result in your life will be joy. You'll become a happy, bubbly person. Friends, I think Jeanette's one of the happiest people I've ever met. And you hardly know her. I really know her. And she's a very happy, very fulfilled individual. But people seldom see where that comes from. It comes from a submission to the will of God. It is no different for churches. You see miserable churches. You go into some churches, everybody's sad, you know, and you think, goodness me, what are you doing then, church? What is that church doing? Because joy comes when we find the will of God and obey that will. So simple, we miss it. You know, discipleship is one of the most misunderstood, avoided and lacking things in the church in the world. The very thing that God told us to do, the very thing that we've been individually commissioned to do, is the very thing that many leaders would call to be in a crisis state. And the reason for that is, is also simple. It's because churches, just the same as individual believers, can want the answer instead of the process. We want everything simply. We want everything the easy way. And some things are not going to come the easy way. Now, I grew up in a big family. I've got nine brothers and sisters, and you know they were all like brainiacs, you know? But I certainly was not. I, I failed academically, uh, appallingly. And one of my worst subjects was mathematics. I had absolutely no understanding, no grip of maths whatsoever. Now, my, as I say, I'm the youngest. So my eldest sister qualifies, goes to Oxford, wins a scholarship, and next one comes out, BAs and MAs all over the place. One of my maths results, I got 2%. Yeah. So my mom, after all these, she gets my maths result, 2%. And she took me aside, took me in a room on my own. She sat me down and she was looking in. And she said, Michael, how? How can anyone? I mean, even, even if you did two sums right, you would have got 15 maybe or something. And I said to her, listen, it wasn't easy. It wasn't simple. And do you know what? It, you're, she was absolutely right. Even if someone had done two or three right, they would have got like 15%. So I must be a genius or something. There's something you're missing. Do you know what my problem was? I had gone all the way through primary school and I had never understood what the process was. I had brothers and sisters and every time I had homework, I would pick up my homework and I would say, fill in the answer. And one of them might say no, but nine of them won't. You'll always find one who'll do it. So it's exactly the same with discipleship, right? The process is the answer. That's what mathematics is like, right? Once you know the process of any sum, you have already got the answer. And see, for, for you as an individual Christian, if you're miserable, there's something faulty in your Christian life. 
And it's the same for churches. If you go into churches and they're miserable, well, are you praying? Are you discipling? Are you evangelizing? It's not, you know, rocket science. So the process is the answer. And that process, friends, is discipleship. You should not be still running after your pastor for prayer for everything under the sun. Right? Pastor, give me the answer. Pastor, would you pray for this? That's okay as a new believer. But as time goes by, you should change. Things should change. And the same for churches. As a church, we should take on greater and greater responsibilities in every area. That's what Paul said, wasn't it? When I was a child, I behaved like a child. I talked like a child. But I don't do that anymore. Because I understand what the process is now. And now I can put myself through that self-same process. As I say, it's, it's, it's personal and collective. When you come to look at the whole school of discipleship, there's many different structures around the world that you could follow. But for every single person here, and all, all of you at home, please get a working model. I think it's very pleasing to Jesus that as a Christian, I take very seriously his priority to me. I say, God, you know what? I'm going to commit today to understand the discipleship process. And I'm going to be a disciple myself. And I'm going to commit my life to also bringing others up in the Lord. As I say, there's many ways that you could look at that. Could I have my first slide there, please? This is probably one of my favorites. I think it's a fantastic way of viewing the Christian life. It's a threefold thing. You could call it, if you like, how to become a, a 3D believer or a 3D Christian. And by 3D Christian, I mean, number one, that a person is a disciple of Christ. Number two, that that same person is a disciple of another person, right? Because people are involved, not just God. And thirdly, that that person is a discipler. So let me just walk through those briefly, just as a way of introduction to this part of our study. What do we mean by a disciple of Christ? Well, no one can make a disciple of Christ. Nobody here can do that, right? Because you're not Christ. Only Christ can make a disciple of Christ. So you must personally know Christ. That's not your part. You know, Chris will make a disciple of Chris. They'll be Chris's disciples. They were John the Baptist's disciples. But only Christ can actually make you a disciple of Christ. And that part is so important that, once again, it's one of those things that always gets missed. Being a disciple of Christ, starting with him. Could you go back to that slide, please? And just leave, if you leave that one on for a moment. This one is, is, is immensely crucial, friends. And I would say to you, because there's many disciples here, I would say to you that I wouldn't bother trying to disciple anyone unless I was totally convinced that they were submissive to Christ. Because if they're not submissive to Jesus, they're not going to be submissive to you. If they won't obey him, and when someone comes to you, and as I say, many of you are disciples, when someone comes to you and says, oh, will you be my discipler? You're not looking for any other thing first. The first thing you're looking for, is this a person who actually obeys Jesus? That when he talks, they jump. Because if they have not yet done that, you need to leave them a little bit more time on the vine until they sort out that basic issue. I, I, I was in a room once, I was with my senior pastor, and we were interviewing a pastor who was coming on staff in a church. And in comes the guy, and senior pastor asked him lots of questions and all this and I just sat and observed fine no problem and went through the whole thing and the guy left and 
my senior said, wow, praise God. That's a good guy, right guy, right? <laughs> I was very uneasy about that guy. And it's one of the best examples I've ever seen of this being missing. And my friend was saying, oh, but he was cooperative and everything. I know. Everything was yes. But there was something seriously. Did we hear Jesus mentioned? We're talking about a full-time minister here. Is Christ in this man's life? I've got problems with that. I just did not find that. Anyway, he disagreed. I said, okay, no problem, your decision. And he took him on. Oh, <laughs> that was a disaster. It was an absolute disaster for the senior because that guy gave him so much trouble. He wouldn't obey him. And the reason he wouldn't obey him is because he wasn't obeying Christ in the first place. And half the problem with discipleship, people give up on it because they're trying to disciple someone who's not obedient to Jesus. Right? And churches start this process, but they don't come through the proper criteria. The word discipline, by the way, um, sorry, the word disciple comes from the word discipline. And what it means is to be self-controlled, to be self-constrained, and it means to discipline your life and to live by principles that are not your own. In this case, they're the principles of Jesus Christ. Okay, we'll look at that in more detail in a moment. But first of all, a disciple of Christ is what we need to be, and it's what we need to look for in those we're discipling. Secondly, we need to be a disciple of another. And this is where many people just get off the bus, you know. They can't handle it, especially in today's society. You mean somebody's going to tell me what to do? Yeah. You mean a person's going to, I'm going to be accountable to someone? Yeah. That's absolutely right. Your life will be accountable to a human being. And in many areas, they will tell you when you're wrong. They will correct you and you will have to obey them, whether you like it or not, whether you agree or disagree. That's exactly right. And you lose a lot just at that point. Amen? Because people just cannot cope. They think, oh, my relationship with God is all about me and God. I'm happy with God. I don't need someone to tell me what to do. It's just me and God. Leave me alone. Well, that's a very, very immature and childish perspective of the Bible and of the teachings of Jesus. Do you know what? There's two very separate structures that you live under, whether you're aware of it or not. One of them is your relationship with God and how you love God and He loves you. And do you know, there's no one involved in that except you. That's the one to one. But there's another uh, structure that you live in. And it's an authority structure. And that is not just you and God. Because Jesus instituted the church. And the church has got oversight. It's got a five-fold ministry. And every believer, this half your New Testament is about this point. How we are instructed to obey our oversight and to live under that. So for the outworking of our lives, people are involved. So first we become a disciple of Christ. Secondly, we become a disciple of another. We give up. You know, that pride, that independence. And we give ourselves over to someone else to lead us, which is what we all need. And thirdly, if that goes well, we become a discipler. Someone who can actually lead others. What's a discipler? A discipler is someone who themselves has had victory in the realms of the world, the flesh, and the devil. You've overcome the world. That's everything out there. You've overcome yourself. You've got over yourself. And you've got a handle on the devil. You, you, you can you know, deal 
with satanic attacks and that type of thing. That's simply what a discipler is. Someone who can be an example to others. Don't put your hands up. Please don't answer me. But who's following you? Who's following your example? Who can you say to them, what you see in me, do that? Can you turn? Because that's what Paul said. Paul said to the people around him, you see how you see me behave? That's how you should behave. See the things you see in me? That's what you should be. Can you say that? Because that's what a discipler has to be able to say. Listen, look at me. A discipler must have something the disciples don't have. A discipler must be further along or you've got nothing to offer. You see, it's costly. It's costly. It'll cost you your life. When I left home, I was about 17. I had good, very good parents. And I remember I was crying. I walked down. I was the last one to leave. So it was hard for my parents. It was hard for me. I walked out that. I couldn't look back because I was crying profusely. But as I walked out the door, my mum and dad were behind me. And off I went. And I'll never forget what my mother said. Just shouted after me. Remember everything we told you. Man, that's good. That's good, you know. There'll be many a mum and many a dad when their child gets to 16 and they're leaving. Can we forget the last 17 years, please? <laughs> Just forget what you saw in me. Just follow Jesus. He'll give you the answer. Sorry about that process thing. But praise God, through a lot of pain, and a lot of trial and error because they had eight before me, you know, to practice on. <laughs> Through a lot of trial and error, my parents were very, very good disciples. And thus were able to say, what you've seen in me, that's what you should now be. So as individuals, and we'll talk a little bit more when we move across the road. And I'll talk about a vision called 2020, um, where we're going to look at 2020, where we start to bring discipleship right throughout the city, etc., etc. But it starts with us. Starts with you. Starts with us as a church. And look at that list and ask yourself, am I these things? By the way, this is not a progressive thing so much. Amen. You would start by being a disciple of Christ and then move on. But it shouldn't take you forever to get from number one to number two to number three. The, 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 the power of this thing is when we're operating in all three at the same time. Right? Right from the get-go, almost immediately. Remember in the book of Acts Chapter 1, Jesus says, you know, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost will come upon you and you will be my witnesses in, in, in Judea, in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. What he was saying there was not, hey church, he's talking to a church. He wasn't saying, what I want you to do first is be a witness in Jerusalem and take 40 years to do that. And then when you eventually get round to it, make your way to Judea. And then if it, no, 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 that was not it. And that would have completely unplugged them what he was saying to the church get a vision for the world send missionaries to the uttermost parts of the world today right make peace with your enemies if you can today Samaria go into Jerusalem that was your family those close to you do it all at the same time and when you do that something happens you enter into a different dynamic and that's how this works I was with some pastors recently up in Perth I just trying to introduce this concept that one of the reasons we fail constantly in the area of discipleship is we're not operating, getting our people to operate on all three. 
they've got to be discipling as well as disciplers, as well as a disciple of Christ. And only then will we see the health that we need to see. So for today, we're just going to do one of these things, the top one. And next week, we'll look at the next one and, and, and so on. So, question. What is a disciple of Christ? Well, a disciple of Christ is someone who's found Christ for a start. I don't know about your salvation, but when I got saved, I wasn't actually led to Christ. I was led to a church. And that's a very different experience. Christians, maybe not having enough of Christ themselves, didn't quite know how to cope and um, uh, come to my church. And one after the first one was a Presbyterian church. And I turned up and some of them could be really good like, but this, this was a really stiff one. It was like a dentist's waiting room, you know. Everybody was tense. The air was, I, it was awful. And I just knew that's not for me. And I went to a Pentecostal church and an Anglican church and all types of churches. And eventually I found Jesus, praise the Lord. <laughs> it's a big mistake. We're not there to introduce, as a disciple of Christ, we're not there to introduce anybody to a church. We're there to introduce people to their Savior and to get to know Him, you know, primarily. And then if you want a word, in fact, if you want a word from the Lord this morning, here's a word for you, for everybody. Be a disciple. Be a disciple. That word stands 24-7. It'll stand for the rest of your life. So many lost people, because I was a, a, a lost young man looking for somewhere to go, looking for an answer in life. Well, the answer was for me to find Christ, but that wasn't so easy because the Christians didn't know quite what to do. Turn to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10 and verse 1. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, the first and primary thing. <coughs> Excuse me. The first and primary thing that Jesus called his disciples to be was to be with him. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1. He called his 12 disciples to him. And in your version, it may say to be with him. Don't underestimate that. In fact, underline it in your Bible so that for the rest of your life, you can guide others to that scripture. He called, first of all, who? Disciples to be what? With him or to, to him. The first thing that Jesus did was call people to himself. You'll probably know that famous line in Psalm 103 where it says, God made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. There was a big gap. The people of Israel only knew God by the pillar of cloud and the parting of the Red Sea. And that wasn't an intimate knowledge. God made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. And the disciple of Christ is someone who knows God that way. Remember in the book of Acts, what did it say about the apostles when they came out? That the crowd said, these were men who had been with Jesus. It was obvious that something of Christ had rubbed off on them. So first and foremost, you're called to get alone with Jesus, to fight for some time, somewhere, where you are alone with him. You know, nearly every Sunday night, as we have three meetings here on a Sunday, every Sunday evening we get home about half nine. And the first thing I do, as I say, Jeanette, I put my coat on and I go for a walk. And I go out just to be alone. And I say thank you to Jesus for the day. Start the day alone with him. Pick up his voice. 
pick up the right spirit from him for that day and end the day with him. And something of him you pick up, right? So disciple of Christ, first and foremost, we're called to be with him. Secondly, is in Luke's gospel. And I do advise you to mark these actually because you can then use them when you're discipling. Luke's gospel chapter 14 and verse 26. Jesus starts to spell out some of the criteria for being a disciple. Luke's gospel 14 verse 26. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and his mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Heavy, strong words, extreme words from Jesus. Obviously, he doesn't mean you're supposed to hate your mom or whatever. In comparison is his point. In comparison to your love for those around you, your love for me should be so strong that it makes everything else pale into insignificance. And please listen to me, folks. Look at me a moment. If you don't get anywhere near that place, you will never be able to be a disciple. You're going to be a Christian. Fine. But you will not be a disciple unless you get to know Christ and then begin as you know him. You can't love someone you don't know. You can't love a God you don't know. You will not sacrifice for a God you do not know. And so you need to spend time with him. You need to get to know him. You need to fall in love with him. And as you do that, what it does to you is it will enable you to overcome your fears to or, and to make sacrifice. Right? You know, when I was a kid, I was walking down the street and this dog jumped out on me and bit me on the back of the leg. And it left me with a little bit of fear, you know, of dogs. When I would see them, I'd just be a little bit trepidatious about them. And a few years went by and I'm walking down the street with my mum one day, just happily going along. And all of a sudden, this Salzation comes out and he's staring at us and growling at us. I thought, oh no, maybe he'll just go, but he didn't. And the nearer we got to him, that dog eventually began to run, you know, snarling to get us. Now, I'm frightened of dogs. <laughs> but you know what I did? I lunged at that dog. I lunged at that dog. I was going to grab it and rip the thing to shreds. <gasps> Where's your fear gone? Well, I got my mum, you see. <laughs> my love for my mum completely made no thought whatsoever for self-preservation, no thought of being personally injured or damaged, not a split second, because I know her and I love her. But for someone else who you don't know, where the knowledge is not there, you're going to struggle to sacrifice. You're going to struggle to be a disciple unless you grow in your knowledge of God. You know, in the French Revolution, there was a town in France, it's a true story, where they used to hang convicts and people in the middle of the day. And there was this young couple just destined to be married. And I don't know what the man had done, but he, he, they said they were going to hang him. And the tradition in that town was there was a bell tower beside the bell, a bit like Glasgow. <laughs> there was a bell tower and beside the bell tower was a gallows. And, and at 12 o'clock when the bell rang in the tower, the person was hung or the people that were going to be hung that day. And this young fiancé was screaming for the sergeant to let her fiancé go. Please have mercy. And the sergeant would hear nothing of it. Tomorrow, 12 o'clock, he dies. And the night goes by and the next day comes and the man's led out, bound and led up to the gallows and he's looking for the one who was supposed to love him. Where is she? 
nowhere to be seen. They put the rope around his neck. They wait for the bell. And 12 o'clock comes. But there's no bell. And everybody's bemused. What's going on? Get up there and make the bell ring. And they climb up into the bell tower. And that girl had strapped herself to the bell and was struck and killed by that great ball that hits the bell. And the sergeant said, let the guy go. There's been enough bloodshed. Now my point is, could you do that for that man? You see, there's only one reason, too, well, that that girl did that. She knew him and she loved him. And thus she was able to sacrifice. And the advice of Christ, you're here this morning. And say, I'm going to be a disciple. I'm going to be a disciple of Christ. Well, understand what he's advising you here. Oh, are you really? Well, if that's the case, it's going to require you to get to know me. To know me more and more. To fall in love with me. So that you're able to make the sacrifices that are going to be required of you. Do you understand that? Amen? Thirdly, a disciple of Christ, back to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Take a look at that. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16 and verse 24. Matthew 16, 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, to who? Disciples again. Then Jesus said, this is not to Christians. It's not just set out in a church like this. Remember, someone who's, who's a disciple is a disciplined follower. They're living by the principles of another, that being Jesus Christ. Then Jesus said to his disciples, okay, so you're going to follow me. Fine. But know this, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his, uh, so if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Look at those words and look at the order of them. They're very significant. He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. A great misunderstanding within the church, you know, about denial of self and self-denial. Get on my next slide. Take a look at this. People get confused about this. They're very different things. The scriptures talk a lot about self-denial, about fasting, about praying, about giving sacrificially. That's fine. No problem. So we should. But please listen. See that list? Self-denial? That's easy. That's easy. Giving sacrificially, you'll get used to it. Just give sacrificially a few times. It's all right. You'll survive. You'll learn that you can live and God will supply. You start to fast, you won't die. You'll start to become you know, accustomed to that. But see the other list? Denial of self was not about things. Self-denial is about things. It's about fasting from food. It's about praying and giving up your time or whatever. But Jesus in the scripture you just read didn't actually mention self-denial. He said, if anyone does not deny himself, it's a different thing. It's a complete reverse. What is it? Well, denial of self is not things. Denial of self is, I must deny myself. I must deny what I want out of life. I've got my own career, God. I've got my own future. I've got everything planned out. Right? There are many, our personality. You could have personality traits that have to go and as I've mentioned to you many times personality it's not just about sin I wish it was your personality might be touchy or edgy 
and you've never given it up. When I got saved, my boss, I was witnessing to him, and he was a tough leader. He really was. He was a good leader, but he was very tough. And everyone used to say of Tony, he didn't tolerate fools easily. And that was absolutely true. But as I got saved and was trying to witness to him, I often thought to myself, man, if you get saved, you're going to have to, that's going to have to go. You're going to have to deny yourself because that's an ungodly, worldly type of aggression. It wasn't good. He never did get saved when I was there anyway. But you see the difference? There are things that we do need to deny ourselves. It's a conscious, intelligent decision. And you pick up your cross and you deliberately choose to follow Christ. Amen? That's your fourth. And then fifthly, again in Matthew chapter tw- uh, chapter 16 and verse 24, Jesus talks about picking up your cross and following him. And, and that is a very specific cross, you know. There's the cross of life and there's the cross of Christ. And they're very different things. The cross of life we all carry, lost and saved. You got a mortgage? Struggling to pay it? That's the world, guys. Everybody's out there. You know, there's a recession on or whatever. That's just life and everything in it. There's nothing heroic or, you know, Christ-like in that. That's just life. That was not what Jesus was talking about here. He said, if anyone does not pick up his cross, he's talking very specifically about the cross of Christ. Do you know why this is important? (laughs) Let me draw your attention to the Garden of Gethsemane. And do you remember those many disciples who were there? All living in the world, all going through trials of life. Guess what happened as soon as the cross of Christ began to come? Gone. As soon as the reality that Jesus actually did have a cross, as soon as those 12 who had followed him so avidly right up to the garden, we will never leave you, we will never forsake you, until... It became clear that there actually was a cross. It wasn't the cross of the world. It was the cross of Christ. The real cross. And those disciples, as soon as that cross came, every single one ran away. They weren't prepared. They had not heeded this. Not yet, anyway. They went on mostly to fulfill that, obviously. But you see, the cross is a real thing. And I think they had followed him for many different reasons, for power and prestige and everything else. But when the cross hit home, they were not prepared. And they're there as an example for you and I to learn from, not to make the same mistake. So today is just very simply an introduction to the whole discipleship process. Over the next three weeks, please don't miss any, because as I say, this is the heart of God. I have the worship team, please. This is the heart of God. For you as an individual, it's the way you will grow. This is the heart of God for us as a church. And when we get across to Woodside Halls, I'll share a little bit more about what I believe we can do to see this church expand and grow between now and 2020. Please stand. Just bow your heads. Close your eyes and focus on God. Hallelujah. God, in, with all our might, with the commitment that we can muster, we once again commit to the process, to being avid followers of you, 
And for this morning, we don't think about our pastors or accountability or discipleship as the church would have it. We think about you. God, forgive us if we can't hear your voice personally. Forgive us if we've lost your touch personally. God, it saddens us that you should be in that garden and cry for people to be with you. But there was no one there. They'd all fallen asleep. God, today we return. We kneel with you. We bow before you. Restore us to a deep, deep intimacy. An intimacy with you that will enable us to live a a good and proper Christian life. To walk worthy of the calling we have received. An intimacy with you that will enable us to make the sacrifices that every disciple will be called to make. Holy Spirit, come. We give ourselves to you. Thank you for listening to today's program. I trust you have been blessed and edified by what you've heard. I want to ask you to do something, and that is to become a partner with us here at Preparing the Way. By doing so, you can help us to take these essential messages out to many other nations, many other people around the world. You can become a partner by visiting our website, preparingtheway.tv, and there you will find many ways that you can join up. Folks, it is a pleasure and an honor to partner with you in bringing in the end times harvest. God bless you, and once again, thank you for listening.